You're listening to Witham's Taxing Topics. When it rains, it pours. Tax regulations and guidance are dynamic, continually changing domestic and international financial waters. Step under Witham's umbrella to better weather the storms of tending taxing topics. We'll share the essential news and information you need to prepare for what's ahead. Hello, this is Josh Galerinter. I'm joined today with Calvin Young, and we're going to chat about blockchain and crypto and the tax impacts that investors can expect to encounter with their blockchain slash crypto investments. Calvin, it's uh, good to talk to you again. Um, hey, let's start a little with uh, what's been in the news today. I just I saw this morning that one of these big crypto uh, companies has in fact bought the naming rights to the famed LA Lakers uh, home arena, the Staples Center, that as of December 26th this year, the Staples Center will no longer be known as such, and in fact will be known as Crypto.com Arena or Crypto.com Center. I don't exactly remember the name exactly, but it's just an indication as to how big uh, the idea of crypto companies, crypto in general, has become. The uh, the deal was reportedly for a $700 million naming rights uh, deal. So obviously this company, I, I think they're headquartered in Singapore, is uh, is uh, spending big. I read that it's not their only uh, foray into uh, sports advertising. They have deals with some sports leagues, with some sports teams. But it's just an indication as to the the breadth and the 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 extent of the advertising spend that some of these companies have and the that's obviously just an indication that this is here to stay it's not a flash in the pan as uh, some uh, skeptics might have thought at the beginning of the uh, crypto craze as i would say yeah now you, just that you mentioned it the at, for 700 million dollars to name rename the staples center that that while I was doing some research, you bring to mind the the famous Bitcoin pizza guy. That in it seems like this story comes up every every so often when when the rise in Bitcoin price hits an all time high. They the news the reporters usually bring this up and say how this this individual I won't say his name, but we'll just call him Bitcoin pizza guy. He spent ten thousand Bitcoin for two pizzas at Papa John's in two thousand ten. And just looking at the current prices, that's about $600 million. So he could have given crypto.com a run for their money and bidding for those naming rights. We could have had the Bitcoin pizza guy arena. <laughs> so, so Calvin, how far back does crypto, for those who aren't uh, so well uh, uh, initiated into the crypto arena, how far, before we get into the uh, tax impacts, but can we talk about the history for a minute? How far back? Like when? When did? When? What was the genesis? How far back does you? Because the pizza guy stories you said happened in 2010, and he certainly wasn't the first guy to have Bitcoin. So just give people a, a sense of how far back this goes to where we are now in the end of 2021, coming forward to 2022. In the big picture of things, it's it's the whole cryptocurrency Bitcoin phenomenon, if we call it that, has been around. It's fairly new. The Bitcoin itself, I believe that was created in 2009. So it's roughly about 12 years old now. Uh, so not, not long at all in, the, in terms of, of the, the lives of what 
many people are arguably calling cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, they're calling it a new asset class. Uh, whether it's a new asset class or not, it seems like it's here to stay. After every run up in the price, it seems like it becomes big news and it just keeps going higher and higher and there's more adoption every year. So it seems like it's something that's here to stay. And with any new and novel technology like cryptocurrency, blockchain, it, it brings up a lot of issues and unknowns that you may not think about right off the bat, just due to the nature of it being new and not having any, any established rules or guidance around it. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. We know as tax professionals, and if you're not a tax professional, you know the IRS and Treasury is uh, very fond of issuing lengthy Treasury regulations forms with pages and pages of instructions, et cetera. From, from what I gather, the IRS has been a little bit slow in coming to grips with the explosion of blockchain and crypto. I know there was a, an initial pronouncement sometime in the early 2010s, maybe 2013, 2014, that the IRS is treating cryptocurrencies not as uh, cash, but as, as, an, as a separate uh, uh, type of property. But uh, people have been long involved in cryptocurrency with very, very little enforcement on the tax side. Is that a fair statement, would you say? Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. Enforcement is more on the side of being new and not having the rules or, or the technology for the IRS to enforce those rules. Uh, but like you said, in 2014, the IRS issued a revenue ruling that essentially said that they believe digital currencies should be treated as property and not as any other type of asset. Uh, and with that ruling, how, how digital currencies such as Bitcoin should be treated as, as property, some of the issues around that is that when you, when you spend cryptocurrency for normal commercial transactions, like say you're buying ice cream with Bitcoin at Baskin Robbins, that, that's an actual taxable transaction where you would have to recognize the gain or loss on that Bitcoin that you spent on your ice cream. Um, and I don't know if a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that and don't track, track have that documentation to track their, their gain or loss with those transactions. And also along those lines, whether you're exchanging one cryptocurrency for another, that's also a taxable transaction. The IRS mentioned that there's no like-kind exchange rules. They don't apply to, to cryptocurrencies. Uh, and also in the, the, another hot area is in the non-fungible token or NFT space, where users can buy these non-fungible tokens, whether they're, they're comics, collectibles, music, or any other type of artwork essentially that you can exchange it you could spend your tokens your ethereum that's the most popular one uh, and exchange it for these nfts and that that purchase of the nft with ethereum is a taxable transaction so yeah. as far as yeah, keeping I, remember, I remember reading about nfts in the sports space i grew up in the age where you collected uh, baseball cards or football cards and tops and donruss were the big uh, companies i don't know if those companies are even around anymore everything has gone to this non-fungible token that you're talking about and you could buy what i understand a, a highlights package where you own 
a highlights package of a certain sports uh, player, and then you can either license out or otherwise dispose of your rights in that bundle of highlights that uh, you've purchased uh, from whatever company has originated the the NFT of that uh, of that sports highlights package. So. Yeah, that's- that's exactly right. There's there's all sorts of uh, I believe Pops has their own their own uh, baseball cards on blockchain now, and also uh, if you've been watching football, you will see commercial commercials of Tom Brady, or even he he mentions that he has his own NFT line. Yeah, I, and again, to to a geezer like me, it's it's a, it's a strange world that we're living in where you're not. Uh, <laughs> Trading uh, baseball cards, but you're trading in these uh, uh, intangible uh, things that you can't put uh, your hands on. But yet, uh, people are, from what I understand, making significant amounts of money. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a little while ago about uh, going to Baskin and Robbins and using uh, cryptocurrency to to purchase uh, a, an ice cream cone. Is that really something? I, I, we talked about Pizza Guy at the beginning. Is is it gotten to the point? Is crypto so prevalent that you could pretty much go to any uh, store? In the when you need to buy some commodity and you're able to pay not with cash, not with your credit card, but you can pay with uh, cryptocurrency, it's gotten that prevalent, huh? I see it in the news more and more, uh, where more and more companies are accepting cryptocurrencies as payment. But that is, I use Baskin Robbins as an example, but they uh, they really do accept cryptocurrency as payment for ice cream. Yeah. yeah. That's to me. That's a fascinating statement of where we are in 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 as far as where we are with uh, technological developments in the world. That you can walk into a Baskin Robbins shop and, and pay using uh, paying cryptocurrency. To me, it's fascinating. Is there any other uh, ta- domestic tax issues that we should cover uh, as far as uh, what the investors need to know from a domestic standpoint? I guess that question is kind of. Uh... Where do you want to start? Uh, outside of what we mentioned before, there's the the whole issue of recognizing gain or loss on on spending cryptocurrencies. Uh, I, just to mention, there's there's ways to avoid that. There are what they call stable coins, which are pegged to U.S. dollars that that don't fluctuate in value. So if you buy these stable coins where the value doesn't change, there's essentially no gain or loss on those transactions. Uh, but there's there's a whole world of regulatory questions in that in that area as well. But just going on to some of the other issues that I can think of just off the top of my head, there's because there's so many ways to invest in the cryptocurrency blockchain space, whether you're buying stock in a public cryptocurrency exchange on the, on a recognized stock market, that's I guess that's a more traditional way. But then there's also activities you can do, such as mining cryptocurrency. You can just buy cryptocurrency off exchanges. There's also what they call staking, which helps secure certain blockchain networks and you can earn rewards. There's decentralized finance transactions that you can engage in where you can lend cryptocurrencies and earn interest off of those your holdings, uh, as well as NFT collecting, if you want to call that an investment option as well. Uh, so there's there's just so many ways to, to invest in the space. But then also, I guess as far as the domestic tax law side, 
there's also this these organizations called DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations, where it's essentially a group of people can pool their resources together to make investments. So it functions sort of like it could function as like a venture capitalist fund or firm uh, where they they decide to buy investments. And just recently in the news, I I saw that one one of these DAOs they funded a purchase of of music or artwork and then all the essentially it the question there is do these are these DAOs are they entities for tax purposes and how do you classify them because if they don't fit in the traditional mold of what the irs and treasury regulations say is is a corporation or this is a partnership mm -hmm. uh, so there's there's all sorts of questions around around classification any classification just to go going all the way back that's fa fascinating and and on the international side the the issue there there are significant issues for investors to be aware of as well from a US investor who's looking to invest uh, in a, in a blockchain company uh, that looks overseas. For example, this crypto.com that we talked about at the uh, at the outset with the uh, new naming rights. So if you invest in that type of company as a U.S. investor, there is a number of potential uh, tax regimes that you need to be aware of as as a U.S. taxpayer. Uh, probably not relevant in the crypto.com situation, but uh, if you're buying a significant share of one of these smaller types of companies and you, you invest and you end up owning 10% or more by a vote or value of the, of the company, you'll need to know if there are other U.S. persons who have uh, also acquired that uh, amount of, sh of, uh, of an interest in the foreign company because uh, that might create a controlled foreign corporation or if you yourself as an individual acquire more than 50% of the vote or the value of that foreign entity, you'll definitely be a controlled foreign corporation and all the rules we're not going to get into all the rules of uh, what a CFC ownership uh, entails, but uh, that's one thing that uh, individuals would need to know about. Probably more likely for individuals who are investing into foreign entities that are in this space relates to uh, the PFIC rules. For those of you who don't know, PFIC stands for Passive Foreign Investment Company, and a U.S. shareholder that's a shareholder in a PFIC uh, has uh, a couple of different things to worry about. Number one, well, first of all, let's define what a PFIC is. A PFIC is a foreign company where 75% of its income is from passive activities or, and that's an or test, not an and test, or more than 50% of its assets on the balance sheet give rise to passive income. So you can meet one or the other and that foreign company will be a PFIC. So some of these blockchain companies very well might uh, fall into meet one of those two tests, depending upon how you classify a number of their assets. Uh, those assets could be classified as, as passive assets. So even if, the even if the income that's being earned is somehow related to active advertising or um, other uh, active activities, uh, the, 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 cost, the classification of the assets could very much create uh, a PFIC for these uh, these U.S. investors, the consequence of uh, being a shareholder of a PFIC company is 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 
potentially uh, uh, dramatic. First of all, you have an annual filing requirement on Form 8621 to report your ownership. But that's a, that's a small piece of it. The bigger piece of it is the different taxing regimes that exist for shareholders of Repific. Absent a QEF election, a qualified electing fund election, uh, a shareholder of APFIC uh, is going to have two significant uh, negative tax uh, uh, consequences when they go ahead and they sell their shares of the of the APFIC. Number one, the uh, sale of the of the shares would not get uh, capital gains treatment. Whether that's going to be such a big deal going forward with uh, some of the new proposed rules in uh, in uh, the White House and, and and in Congress right now remains to be seen. But still, there's definitely a preference to have uh, capital gains treatment over ordinary treatment, and absent uh, this QEF election, the sale of the shares of the PFIC will be treated as uh, ordinary income. And m probably more uh, relevant to, to U.S. taxpayers is this uh, toll charge or interest charge that is applied to the holding period at the time of the sale of the um, of the sale of the shares. Um, this excess distribution regime, which is what the typical uh, PFIC rules are without uh, an election, can really add up uh, the, the amount of tax and interest that's due on uh, disposal of the shares of the, of the crypto company. And if the sales aren't disposed of, but there's distributions uh, during the course of the ownership, again, if there's an excess distribution, which again is beyond the scope of this uh, podcast, but if there's an excess distribution, there is a, a significant tax cost that goes along with the uh, the distribution that the U.S. taxpayer receives. So just the, to make a long story short, a U.S. investor who's looking to overseas uh, companies that are involved in the blockchain crypto space need to be aware of these potential U.S. tax consequences of investing in uh, one of these types of companies because they could be stepping into a minefield without knowing it that there could be uh, some significant tax consequences if certain um, tests are met and certain elections either aren't made or aren't available depending upon the specific set of facts. So it sounds like this is uh, this something that investors definitely would want to stay on top of and and manage that that classification and just even if it is a PFIC or not, just to be aware of, of what that classification is to, to comply with the, the US tax rules. Exactly, and, and given the explosion of the investor base in these types of things, it's not just sophisticated uh, institutional investors who are making these investments that have strong tax teams in there either internally or they, they pay, um, Good money for 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 a good tax uh, service. It's the mom and pops and and then uh, Joe the Joe uh, John Doe's out there now who are have a little bit of disposable income who figure hey it's not much different than uh, wagering on the Jets on Sunday to throw a little bit of well it's actually a better investment than wagering on the Jets because you know you're going to lose if you wager on the Jets but uh, put some money into one of these funds or just buy uh, some uh, uh, some shares in a foreign crypto company. And you just leave it and forget about it. That uh, if the, if the entity ends up being a, a, a PFIC and this John Doe has not properly reported that ownership, there could be significant penalties for failing to file 
that form 8621 and disclosing, even if it's just one or two shares in this uh, foreign entity, there's uh, significant uh, tax penalties that uh, could uh, accrue for failing to file and disclose. So yeah, exactly. The the Any investor who's, who's getting involved in these types of things need to be very aware of number one, the issues that you discussed about how any uh, purchase using the uh, cryptocurrency is potentially a taxable event depending upon the uh, the purchase price and the amount that it's being u- utilized at. And if you're investing into these foreign companies, uh, the PFIC, uh, CFC probably not as much, but certainly the PFIC issues is definitely something that uh, individuals should be aware of. And a uh, recommendation to reach out to your tax advisor, your friendly tax advisors here at Westham in order to uh, get a consultation on these or any other uh, international tax issues that may arise. Calvin, I thank you so much for uh, participating in this uh, podcast. And uh, any last words before we sign off? No, thank you for inviting me on and allowing me to participate today. Great. With that, I bid everyone a good day and take care. You've been listening to Withens Tax and Topics. Contact us with your feedback or suggestions for future podcast topics. Visit www.withem.com for additional information. Send an email to info or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Witham CPA. Thank you for listening.